Hello, and welcome to the Global Migration Podcast, brought to you by the Center for Migration Studies at UBC. My name is Gabrielle dumpies Wolliver, and I'm your host for Season 3. The Migration Center is located in the unceded ancestral home of the Musqueam people. As we think about migration and mobility in this podcast, we remember that Musqueam people have dwelt here for millennia, and that this place is rightfully theirs. Today we'll be hearing a story from a woman named Sheila. It's the third episode in our limited series about temporary foreign workers during COVID. This series came from a research collaboration between UBC geographers and the Migrant Workers Center here in Vancouver. Sheila was working as a nanny for a family in Kelowna when we met her. She had good rapport with the parents, and their little girl loved her. But after Sheila had to stay home for three weeks because of COVID risks, she found out that it was about to cost her her job. Her employer was angry, and the stakes couldn't have been much higher for a temporary foreign worker. But as Sheila told us, she knew what she had to do, no matter the risk. Here's her story. In October 2020, Sheila got really sick. She had a sore throat, cough, and congestion. Her head ached, and she sounded terrible. This was the first time that we talked. I am not sure, like, if I had that terrible, like, sinus, but it just like my body aches. I mean, it's just like my my doctor didn't mention about it, but I told him about all the things that I experienced. Like, I was at migraine, and then you know, bloods in my when I blow my nose and stuff, and sore throat. And I don't know, just like about two weeks now that I am feel like this. So I don't know what's going on. But. I was sure she had COVID. She'd already had a COVID test, and it came back negative. But that was days ago, and she hadn't been getting any better. Um, I still have, you know, cough. Um, but I hope I will not go to a second COVID test. Uh, but yeah, but I will see the doctor's <coughs> excuse my recommendation for for tomorrow. So it's a little bit scary. She's been self-isolating since she got sick trying to be safe till she knew for sure if it was COVID. But that's been almost as hard as being sick. She's home alone, waiting, not knowing what's going to happen. I need to isolate her straight away. And emotionally, it's draining. I, I always cry that just thinking about what will be the result. And I just like try to, you know, be strong because who are going to look after with me if I had, you know, COVID? Because you know, She keeps going back to the doctor and they try different things steroids and histamines and she finally starts feeling better no second covid test turns out it really was just a bad cold but still it kept her home alone and away from work for three weeks covid numbers were going way up in bc then and getting back to her job as a nanny meant no messing around with protocols there's no social distancing or remote work when you're one-on-one with a five-year-old girl every day Oh my gosh, before I got sick, I always just like on the go, I work. I just like uh, very hands-on to the little girl that I'm taking good care. One-on-one for eight hours, sometimes 10 to to 11 hours if needed. Um, You know, we do our thing. So I I gave her a lesson, one-on-one every single day. Eating time activities, I always make sure that she's busy and, you know, she's happy and safe and stuff. So finally, Sheila's in the clear and gets to go back to work. It's a huge relief, partly because the girl's parents don't pay Sheila any sick leave. 
So three weeks being homesick meant three weeks without any income. And the parents weren't too excited about her being gone that long anyways, even though they were supportive at first and knew it was necessary. So back to work is good news for everyone. And when I returned back for the first day, the mother said, I had a nightmare, three weeks without you. I said, oh no, sorry about it. And then, you know, like first day, it was okay and trying to figure out things and try to get back to routine. But then the little girl starts to feel sick that day. And that's when things go sideways. Right after that, um, my employer, after I got back to work, I returned to my apartment, do my things, and then my employer told me, the lady, my little girl have a very bad cold, like full cold, like, and said, it's up to you. It's up to you if you want to come to work. So I just, I just said, okay, sure. Um, um, I will not work today, but I will work in my off time. Like, because she gave me an option. And then here after, I guess, two minutes, the guy, the, the employer guy just called me and was so mad at me. He ended just like shouting over me on the phone. Like he told me that, um, okay, if you will not going to work today, it will be very bad for your future. I'm telling you. And just like, I was, you know, threatened. I'm losing my job right now. This is bad. I mean, it's bad to lose your job, but it would be extra bad for Sheila. She's from the Philippines, and she's employed in Canada as a temporary foreign worker. And she actually got fired from her previous nanny job. She had to wait a long time, about eight months, for this next job to come through. People were reluctant to hire someone who'd been fired before. But more than that, she had to wait for the government to grant a new work permit before she could start a new job. Like with many temporary foreign workers, her permit only lets her work for a specific employer. So if something happens with that job, she has to spend months starting over with the whole approval process before she can work again. So this job with the little girl was like a godsend when it came. The family was wealthy, and they seemed kind. They didn't care that she had been fired before because her references were so good. And they paid her overtime, even if they didn't pay her sick leave. Sheila traveled with them for a month while they were on holiday in California. And the little girl loves her. They're really close. And then we enjoy so much together. And she helped me to cook some, you know, sometimes dinner. She is very good about it. And she likes Filipino food, which is amazing. I help her to make egg rolls, um, coconut rice. <laughs> yeah, sometimes out of nowhere, she will talk Tagalog with me. And then the parents just look at, what are you talking? And so they're just like, okay, okay, the two of you, okay, you understand each other. Thank you. <laughs> so we have super nice bond together. So things had been good here for a while, over a year. But then Sheila was out sick for three weeks and COVID was a threat. And now the guy is shouting at her on the phone. And then I told him, okay, wait, um, okay, I will go to work. I will take my medication and I can still work and I will wear my face mask like some precautions. I said, no, I don't want you to come in here. Blah, 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 I was so mad. And then I was just like, whoa, I was so terrified. And it's just like flashback everything to me when he was shouting over me over the phone. This flashback she mentions, she's talking about when she lost her job before. She had just started working in Canada then, and her employer had told her not to bother with getting a social insurance number. They intended to pay her off the record, but Sheila didn't want to mess around with her status or social benefits like that. So she got her sin, and her employer was furious when they found out and they fired her. 
all the 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 Canadian guy, my employer, shouted over my face, and I got traumatized. And from the first time I came to Canada, I really, I really still recovering from all the shouting from the guy, the way they mistreated me and like belittle me as you know a worker in Canada. Actually, she didn't get fired just once. She's been fired from three jobs in a row. Every time, it was because of an issue like this with how they treated her. They'd expect to take advantage of her somehow or make demands that were unsafe or illegal. She didn't understand it. As far as she was concerned, it was pretty simple. There were rules in place, rules for them both, and you're supposed to respect each other. But the employers had the upper hand. They could make their demands and just fire her. And every time she tried to stand up for herself, it cost her her job. It was devastating. 2017, November, oh my gosh, the first full snow in Kelowna. I feel so down because my my world just, you know, crashed down again. She just sent me an email that she don't need me and blah, blah, and everything. And then I just like, what's going on? And I need to wait for Elema. I need to wait for again. And it's heartbreaking for me, and I don't have sleep overnight. I just like up, 24 hours. I'm up, and I don't know what I'm going to do. I just like have everything, just like on my suitcase, and just like crying, crying, and then. So now she's just gotten off the phone with her fourth employer, and it sounds like she might be losing her job again. What does Sheila do? So I just like want to settle myself first. And, you know, all the emotions and stuff. So what I did was I turned off my phone, like, to catch my thing. But right after I turned on my phone, after a couple of hours, I sent the la- I sent message to the lady saying that, I would like to have a meeting with your husband tomorrow, if that's okay. Because maybe he was, you know, so stressed. So she said, oh, she said, okay, blah, blah, blah. I said, okay. So at a specific time, I went there, you know, I am not in my territory. That is their comfort zone. That is their house. And I am very uncomfortable and very unhappy. So I went there as a professional, as a person. I know my duties. I know my responsibilities. And here we are. The three of us had a meeting. So they started talking, blah, 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 whatsoever, and, you know, negative things. So I let the guy talk, and then the, the lady is like trying to be neutral. And for me, I'm trying to be calm and still polite, and I know where to stand my ground. And I know exactly where to stand my ground. And then the guy said many, many things, like irrelevance from the topic. You know, the lady has apologized to me. I said, oh, okay. Well, um, I, re- I, I told them, I take my job seriously. I, you know, I am very responsible with my responsibilities, but I am not capable not to being sick because it's, I try to follow all the precautions, you know, the, the, the schedules of doctor appointment and this blah, 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 and so on. And then yesterday when the guys, you know, like, you know, shouting me and threatened me that it will be very bad for me, blah, blah, whatsoever. I just like felt I'd lost my job. You fired me, I cannot work right away tomorrow because of my restrictions of work permit. But I will be very happy to finish my work contract until July. That will be very nice of you to let me finish my contract. I just try to direct to the point, like the essence of I still need my job. 
It's not my fault being sick. It is not my fault to be in restriction after COVID tests. It is not my fault to all the doctor's appointments and make sure that I will go back to work that I will not contaminate other people. So, yeah, and then they said, blah, blah, blah. You know, they think that I'm paranoid about the sickness and many things. I said, well, I am just trying to be very careful, not paranoid. So anyway, um, the guy was, wasn't happy about it. And um, he, he didn't apologize on that day. And then the lady said, um, okay, um, how about tomorrow? You work like this hours. I said, okay, sure. Okay, I am going now. Thank you so much for your time and for the meeting. And then I left. So in the next day, I went back, you know, trying to get ready to go back to work and trying, you know, to get back on my routine. So anyway, on that morning, um, I had unexpected meeting to them. First, the guy apologized to me, which a big relief for me. He apologized. He said, I'm sorry about, you know, blah, blah, blah. I said, oh, oh, thank you so much. And he made sure to me that I am not fired. I said, oh, thank you. I really, you know, I really need my job. And I take it, you know, seriously to support myself in Canada, to support my family in the Philippines. And it means so much to me. She doesn't get fired. She goes to their house, she listens to them, she stands her ground, and eventually the man apologizes and she keeps her job. Wow, what an incredible story. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was just like, I am honestly, I didn't, because all the guy that I work in Canada. I couldn't so believe this worked out. I was sure she was going to get fired. And I'm amazed at how Sheila handled herself, how she approached all this. But maybe I shouldn't be, not just because of her personality, but maybe my surprise says something about what's been normalized about how temporary foreign workers are treated and expected to react. Canada does have a robust immigration system, and workers here do have some legal rights and protections. It's part of why Sheila wanted to come here. But the rules of the system help create scenarios that keep certain migrants really vulnerable. It exposes them to unlivable choices and exploitation that most Canadian workers would find outrageous if they encountered them. Are citizens expected to support themselves without access to jobs or social services for months at a time? Are they expected to risk losing their legal status because they had to find a way to eat? And do employers regularly assume they can push the limits of Canadian workers' rights? No, they don't. And maybe we're used to this difference. The system has its strengths, but it isn't made for Sheila to have equal treatment. It's made for me to be surprised that, again and again, she insists on her own dignity and her own rights at the cost of losing her livelihood. Can yeah, I, I want to ask you something about that too. When you just sure. you describe this story where you have this the first meeting that you expected to have with them and like you go to their house and you're in their territory as you said. Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. it's I'm I'm just amazed at how you were able to stand your ground. Like I'm where where did you learn this? And like and what was it like for you to to be that way in that meeting. And you've had to do this over and over, but where does that come yeah. from for you? In our bloods, in my family in the Philippines, we are like military bloods. So I guess being strong and you know what is right, 
on the grounds, at least you need to carry yourself wherever you go. You need to help yourself. That is the learn that I have learned from my parents. And, you know, as long as you're not doing wrong, I, I didn't do anything wrong. It's not my fault being sick. Like, okay, let's face this, then to run away from this. Because if you fired me, okay, okay, it's good for you. You have your rights to, to fire me. I have my rights to quit. But let's talk. Because for me, going to your territories, you know, I want to be safe. And, you know, at least I tell some of my friends that I will be have meetings. I have a good community support in Kelowna. And I have, like, I have a very good friend that I know the family here that no, no matter what happens, okay, if something happens, you know, you know where I am. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because for me, working to a house, going there for a meeting, I don't know what awaits for me. That is their that is their territory. But I want to be out safe. When I get in safe, I want to be out safe. You, you know what I mean? Like the the big the big trust and courage to to go and face that kind of very uncomfortable moment being there. I need to overcome it because I need to. So it it was yeah it was like after the meeting, I just drive down. I drive I drove back. I had a good like go to the mountains and drive around and watch the beauty of, of Kelowna and I'm in Canada. I'm still blessed to be in here. Do I miss I miss my family so much. I miss my mom. But my mom and my dad always told me that you you, you was born alone. You live by yourself and you need to be strong. And I am the only one of the family members I traveled and encountered many different situation away from them without mom and dad i i try to stand it myself because i have huge beautiful goal for my life in canada so i'm still holding for that one day i can get it <laughs> Sheila is nothing if not vibrant and caring. It's late November when we have this second conversation, and she's doing all kinds of things to raise extra money to send back home to the Philippines. Two massive typhoons had hit, so she started making hundreds of Filipino egg rolls to support donations. So that's why I make these egg rolls, and I have lots of orders. After working, I go grocery, and then I boom, 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 I do this, I go to bed 2.30 in the morning. And then I but then up, COVID complicated then the egg roll for, distribution. You know, so she switched to recording herself singing Christmas carols, like digital singing telegrams that people could send out. Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad. This is on top of the money she regularly sends back to help take care of her parents and her sisters and brothers. She's put some of them through school and keeps her mom's health care covered. Her mom has hypertension and other chronic issues, so paying for her prescriptions isn't cheap. Sheila and her mom are really close. The egg roll recipe she was using is her mom's specialty. In very different ways, her mom and her dad both have a lot to do with who Sheila is and why she's here in Canada. Um, we are nine kids of my own parents, so I am the middle child. I am the only one who traveled the world to work and help the family. I really value my, my parents, my mom, like the way they raised us. But um, my mom is very patient with my dad. 
And uh, for me, I understand how my mom wants my family to be complete and nine kids and my dad and her. But uh, sometimes, you know, um, sometimes my dad is too much. I remember one day of my life, I told him, we are not in the training of military. Why you do that to us? Because like a military training for the disciplines terrified me. That's why he said, I am stubborn. No, I'm not stubborn. I'm doing this because I want to help the family. Because I want, I don't want to leave all the family all together and die being hungry. I told my dad and my dad was so mad. <laughs> because, um, you know, his, his income is not sufficient for all the nine kids. And uh, the way he treated my mom somehow is not acceptable in my opinion. And I always reason out with him because I will not accept there's something happened to my mom because my mom is one of my inspiration. I'm doing this. It's not just like a word coming out from my mouth, but it's coming out from my heart. And I, I promise it to my heart. As long as I am alive and still do many things, I still, you know, hold for my promise for my mother, you know, for her at least to give her a nice life and, you know, to see the beautiful Canada one day. Sheila told me that watching her mom struggle so much is part of why she's chosen to not have children of her own. But she pours all of her love and energy into the kids she nannies. She's clearly invested in making the little girl in Kelowna feel loved and raising her to be a good person. Over and over, she tells me that the girl already has a good heart. She just wants to help her continue that way. But it's tricky to strike the balance between nurturing and discipline, especially when you're the nanny and not the parent. Kids are kids, and there's only so much she can do. So she loves them, a lot. I just want to make sure that this kid is just like, you know, enjoying her day. And you know, and most especially, I always tell her, you know, to be nice. You're a nice girl. I want you to be the best kid in Canada. You know what I mean? I encourage her because I don't want her to be rude when she's grown up. She don't have idea how rich she is. I, I don't care if you're rich. I want you to have a very good heart one day. Be nice to people. I promise. I promise. Because she just like the attitude is like an angel. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my goodness. Oh. All the kids that I look after, I take care about twenty children, different age, like babies, toddlers, and then teenage. And you know, they always longing for time and love from their mom. And the parents always busy. So I am there for them. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's my role. Just... I hope I give them a good example. Oh, I think so. Does does she know yet that that things are gonna change uh, in the summer? Oh, I'm not sure if that parents said tell them. I didn't tell anything about it yet. How she is... will cry. I will cry. Oh, the stuff. Yeah. But do you feel comfortable with the parents, like between now and 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 the summer? Does it seem like it's has it been mostly oh. weird, or is it is it feeling a little it's bit more normal? Oh my gosh, it's a little bit awkward. After the argument, after the argument, I'm in the heat because because that was the first time that I had that kind of argument with the guy. Like I'm serious, I didn't cry. I mean, I'm very. I I told him I take my job seriously. <laughs> I told him, and I always cook for them twice a week, and then they really love my cooking. And then for me, I'm doing my, you know, my part to do it. And 
um like sometimes i didn't talk so much with a guy because he's a little bit grumpy <laughs> If Sheila had lost her job this time, chances are she wouldn't have been able to stay in Canada. She mentioned something before about how temporary foreign workers need their hours for permanent residency in the future. It's this rule where certain workers have to complete 24 months of employment in order to apply for permanent residency. But they have to complete that work within three years. So all that time Sheila was waiting for new work permits, or even when she was homesick for a few weeks, that counted against her. Her three-year clock was still ticking. It's late 2020 when all this happened, and she started working here in 2017. If this contract hadn't held, she wouldn't have made her 24 months in time. She might have had no choice but to leave, despite her dream of building a good life for herself and her mom in Canada. That's how high the stakes were when she stood her ground with her employer. You said a little bit ago you said that you still have your huge, beautiful goal for your life in Canada. Can you, oh, can, yes. Can, tell, me what, tell me about your huge, beautiful goal for your life in Canada. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't want to cry. <laughs> anyway, um, when I was a kid, I grew up very, very poor, very, very poor. And then every time I go back to home, you know, go back home, I, I cry because there is no food on the table or... <laughs> in the pantry so anyway i always just like you know dream big that i will be in canada and work and help my mom so we will not get hungry so in our community we are just like have like nannies working in canada at that time i was a kid and they sent big box to their family members and then I tell myself, one day I want to do that. I want to, you know, work to have a better life, to help my mom, to, to, to help my family members, to, you know. It's a pleasure for me to welcome you virtually this afternoon. Public policies to establish a one-time pathway for temporary to permanent residency. In April 2021, the government announced four new immigration pathways. These one-time streams would give certain migrants accelerated access to permanent residency. That includes 30,000 slots for people in care occupations, like Sheila's. In the press conference, the immigration minister, Marco Mendicino, had a panel of successful immigrants on to demonstrate the value they've brought to Canadian society. They included a nurse, a doctor, a surgeon, and a university vice president. Sheila and I watched this together online for almost an hour. She wasn't impressed. Uh, to the four of you, I'll just say in conclusion, thank you very much. Merci beaucoup. Thank you for uh, choosing Canada. Thank you for uh, uh, lending your your all of your energy and your enthusiasm and your passion for uh, for for immigration and for essentially protecting the promise that Canada offers those around the world. Uh, it is because of your uh, work and because of your belief in Canada and because of the way in which you are sharing your experiences uh, in your professions and in your lives, that uh, I think we all have good reason to be uh, optimistic about the future of Canada. So uh, in closing, let me just say thank you very much. Merci beaucoup. Have a good afternoon. Mm -hmm. That's it. It's really 
you never highlight about the essential works for from undocumented and low wage people. He just like started highlight the people that you know already have a title who came to Canada and started their journey. To be totally honest, the work, the, the doctors, the nurses, you know, and other high professional titles in Canada who are our employers cannot able to do their job without their nannies or take good care, you know, their elderly people, you know, relatives without caregivers. The immigration streams have slots for many of these low-wage professions with some very strict parameters and qualifications. But the point is that these kinds of workers are still invisible in this grand narrative about who immigrants are and which ones are keeping Canada going. What about their stories and experiences? What about Sheila's? Benefits, equal benefits to health care. Yeah, it's like, well, we'll see. Let's hope that um, there is a good, um, at least to read later for the policies and evaluate, right? Sheila's finishing out the last weeks of her contract now. In July, she'll say goodbye to the little girl and start her new job with a new family, a little bit closer to her own chance at permanent residency. Like other nannies and clerks and cleaners, she'll keep protecting the promise that Canada offers and the promises she's made to herself and her mom and hopes that Canada will make good on its promises to her. They're going to miss you a lot. I hope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was experience. So much of experience in Canada, I'm telling you. <laughs> wow. Wow. Oh my God. Special thanks to Sheila for sharing her experiences with us. I'm also thrilled to report that just last week, she was granted permanent residency in Canada. Thank you to those who also made this research story possible including Natalie Drolet, Executive Director of the Migrant Workers' Center, Dr. Jerry Pratt, Professor and Head of Geography at UBC, and Dr. Vanessa Banta, PhD from UBC Geography. Thanks as well to the Center for Migration Studies and the team that supports this podcast, including Sandra Schinerel, Emily Ambergie, Sofia Ramos, Atya Yekta, and Center Director, Dr. Antje Ellerman. We acknowledge once again the Musqueam Place that supports the Center's work and the gratitude for it is not enough. For more episodes and information, please visit us at migration.ubc.ca. Thanks for tuning in.